Hey, back in um, back uh, in the beginning of February, I spoke with you on our vision and our vision Sunday, where we were going. And um, when we started LifePoint Church, we we started with just three simple things. Anybody remember? Anybody know what those three things were and are? What are they? God. See, this is why we rehearse these all the time. God, groups, and gifts, right? We started with God, groups, and gifts. And we said, you know, we want a simple church. We don't want a complex church. We don't want a difficult church. We really just want a simple church. And so we said, God, groups, and gifts. And really, it's the culture of our church. And um, we just want people to experience God. We want you to develop authentic relationships. That's the group part of it. And we want you to discover your purpose. That's the gifts part of it. We want you to discover what God's called you to do. But we also added a fourth G this year. Does anyone remember what that fourth G was and is? Generosity. How many of you know that generosity is love in action, right? It's love in action. Uh, Let me prove it to you. For God so loved the world that he... He gave generosity. It's love in action. God so loved the world that he gave. God is a generous God. A generous heart comes from a grateful heart. If you notice, most people that are generous are thankful. They're grateful. They're appreciative of what God has done, right? Remember Mary in John chapter uh, John chapter 12? She walks into this room. She has this um, box of perfume and she breaks it and she pours it on the feet of Jesus and Judas basically rebuked her because he said listen this could have been sold and given to the poor because uh, it amounted to a year's worth a year's salary could you imagine bringing your year's salary and bringing it as an offering unto the Lord well that's exactly what Mary did And one of the reasons that she was so generous was because she was so grateful for what Jesus had done. Because if you look at the previous chapter, chapter 11 of John, her brother was dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. Lazarus, right? He raised him from the dead. And some would say, well, you know, I would be generous if Jesus raised one of my loved ones from the dead. Well, guess what? He already has. If one of your loved ones, including yourself, are born again, he's raised you from the dead. You've gone from death to life, right? And so so when you become born again, you take on the nature of God, or you should take on the nature of God, and God is a generous God. Before, Before salvation, our tendency was to focus on self. We were selfish, self centered. If you'll notice, that's what, that's what Judas had. He had the nature of the devil, of Satan, because he is selfish. Remember the fall of Lucifer? He said, I will ascend. I, I, I. It was all focused on self. And so when you become born again, you begin to take on the nature of God, and it's a nature of generosity, right? It's a nature of generosity. So I'm going to do something that I've never done in 20 plus years of ministry, and I shared this uh, again, obviously in the first service, and I'm looking around to see uh, if there's someone in here that's been with us from the very, very beginning, going back to Lake Erie days. Yeah, Tammy's here. So, uh, some of you, 
Jeremy, some of you will remember, um, so you can say amen to this. Um, what I'm going to do today, I've never done in ministry before. And I, to be honest with you, I struggled with it all week. I'm like, Lord, should I really do this? And, and when I woke up this morning and I was praying and I was just going over a few things, I just felt like this is what needs to happen. And I had a peace about it. And I'm like, okay, Lord, we're going to do this today. And uh, the fruit from the first service already has testified that it was the right thing to do. So some of you are like, what is he going to do today? Well, today we're going to watch together a video and it's about 30 minutes long and it's by Pastor Robert Morris. Has anyone ever heard of Pastor Robert Morris? A couple of you, Pastor Robert Morris. Well, he's, he's pastoring a struggling church right now, just outside of Dallas. There's about 30,000 members in his church. Y'all pray for him, okay? But God has anointed Robert Morris with a message that we're going to share with you today, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to tie it in at the end. But um, Daryl was in the first service and got so convicted that he got up and he left. He said, I have to go home and I have to get my checkbook. I have to get my tithe uh, because he felt so convicted about it. So, um, you know, hang on. You don't have to run home and get your checkbook. I'm not saying that. That was just him. But um, I'm going to come back. But I guarantee you this message is going to be impactful. And if you'll allow it, if you'll allow it, it will change. It has the power to change your future. Amen. Are you guys ready? We'll be back in about 30 minutes. Thank you. Well, it's uh, great to be back at Christ Fellowship. If you, if, you, if you don't mind, if you'll just let us in Dallas kind of be your Texas campus, if that's all right, because um, we love you guys so much. Pastors Todd and Julie, we love you all very, very much, and so honored to be here. Normally when I come, I bring a picture of my family just to show you because uh, my children are all grown and married, and they're uh, kind of like rabbits. Uh, they continue to reproduce, and so, uh, so this is a picture of my family. Uh, we have nine uh, grandchildren, as you see there. Uh, Debbie and I had three children, and then and then they, you know, they don't know what causes it, is what they told me. So, <laughs> but that's uh, that's a picture of my family. And if you don't have grandchildren, by the way, let me just give you something to look forward to. Grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your children. <laughs> so. So the next time you just feel like just you just hold, hold on because there's a better one coming along, <laughs> and they are so much fun. We have them, Debbie and I have them over, and we just fill them up with sugar and send them home <laughs> to get revenge on our kids. So anyway, we we love them. All right, if you want to turn in your Bibles or on your app or click or whatever, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13, and I want to share with you a message that I call the principle of first. And this is what I want to explain to you about this message. If God is first in your life, everything can come into alignment. If God is not first in your life, nothing can come into alignment. And I call this a principle because it is a principle all through Scripture. We're even going to go back even to Genesis and see this principle today. 
But there's a principle that when this is in your life, it doesn't mean you're, that uh, you're not going to go through difficulties. We know we live in a fallen world. Jesus said you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But when God's first, everything can line up in your life. All right? So let me show you this scripture in Exodus chapter 13, and we'll start talking about this principle. Exodus 13, verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate, which means to set apart, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both a man and beast, I watch these three words, it is mine. I've set it aside for me, for my purposes. And then you go down to verse 12. He says, you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's, or shall belong to God. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Now we're going to talk about why he said uses a donkey and a lamb in a moment. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. I just want you to notice he's saying you're going to lose it if you don't do what I tell you to with it. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Okay, so I know this is real Old Testament-y. I understand that. But I'm going to show you how it applies to us. But I have three points today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to write these down. Uh, so here's the first one, all right? The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Now that's, there's a principle here we're going to find out. We know we're not under law. This was part of the law. We understand that. But what's the principle? That's what I want to know. Why did God say this in the first place? The firstborn belongs to God and it must be sacrificed or redeemed. Well, how do you know which one? How do you know whether it's sacrificed or redeeming? So that's why he talks about a donkey and a lamb. Donkeys are exemplary of unclean animals. Lambs are the example of clean animals. So here's what he's saying. If, if your unclean animal has a firstborn, you have to redeem it. That means would be, be buy it back from me because it belongs to me. You have to redeem it with the sacrifice of a clean animal. And if your clean animal, like a sheep, has a lamb, you have to sacrifice it. Now, again, I, I can already tell if I, if I stay too long on this, you're some of you are going to start checking your text messages. I understand that. <laughs> because what you're thinking is, Pastor, what does that have to do with me? Okay, I'm going to tell you. So think about it again. Uh, a clean animal has to be sacrificed. An unclean animal has to be redeemed with the sacrifice of a clean. Then he said, even your sons, though, need to be redeemed. Now he takes it over to people. They need to be redeemed. Okay, so clean and unclean. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Were you and I talking about our spiritual condition when we were born? Our spiritual condition. Would you say that we were born clean or unclean? Unclean, because the Bible says very clearly we were all born in sin. We were born with a sin nature. I can prove it by asking the experts here, the parents, did you have to teach your children to be bad? Or did it come naturally for them? And we have to teach them to be good, right? Okay, so we were all born unclean. Was Jesus born unclean or clean? 
clean. Okay, listen to me. Listen. The clean had to be sacrificed so that the unclean could be redeemed. That's what we just said. That's why the Old Testament is important because 1 Corinthians 10 says all of it is an example to you. All of it. So this is an example that the, the first one redeems the rest. See, we're redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And he is called the firstborn among many brethren. So here it is right here. So the first belongs to God. But what I want you to know is the first is the redemptive portion, the first portion. In other words, he, he didn't say, wait until your sheep has 10 lambs and then give me one of them. And you can give me the one that you don't like that keeps getting in your garden every week. He said, give me the first one before you even have the other nine. See, we're going to talk a little bit about tithing in a moment. It's not just that it's 10%, it's the first 10%. Because it doesn't take faith to give the last 10%. It doesn't take faith to give the 10th lamb, it takes faith to give the first lamb. And when you give the first one, according to God, the other nine are redeemed. They've been bought back. Think about even when the children of Israel went into the promised land. Here's what God said. Bring all, all of the silver and gold from Jericho into the house of the Lord. Why would he say that? Simple. Because Jericho was the first city. See, he, said, he didn't say, wait until you conquer ten cities and then give me one. He said, give me the first one. And when they didn't, by the way, when they kept just a little bit of that first portion, they lost the second battle immediately. See, it's so important to understand this. Um, my, uh, you saw a picture of my uh, kids up there, and my, so we have one daughter, and so Ethan, my son-in-law, great, great son-in-law, uh, but he got, he came to me, he got permission to, to date Elaine, and I did what normal dads would do. I talked to him for a while about guidelines. I showed him my gun collection. You just normal. <laughs> Normal things that a father would do for a young man that wants to date his daughter. Um, showed him the heads on the wall and what a good shot I was. But anyway, um, so after they got permission to date, they're standing around after one of our young adult services talking, like seven or eight of them in a group. And they're joking with Ethan, my future son-in-law at that time, and Elaine, my daughter. And they're joking about what's it like to date the pastor's daughter, you know? And then one of them said to my daughter, you know, I just thought of something. Your dad is so strong on tithing, I'll bet he even checks the tithing records of the guys that want to date you. <laughs> and my daughter said, he does. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Why would I give my daughter to someone who, according to Scripture, would steal from God. Why, why would I give my daughter to someone that can't even handle money? I mean, if he can't handle money, he definitely can't handle my daughter because she is a handful. So the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. I'm just showing you a principle. This is a principle, all right? All right, here's the second one. The first fruits must be offered. 
This is a principle, again, that goes all through Scripture. Because I showed you how even Exodus 13 related to Jesus himself. Okay? All right, first fruits must be offered. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions. You ever seen that in the Bible? With your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase or income. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Exodus 23, verse 19, the first of the first fruits, notice it's not the last, the first of the first fruits of the land, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Notice a couple things. It comes to the house of God. Secondly, he says, bring it. He, God does not use the word giving when he talks about this. The reason is you can't give what doesn't belong to you. You can either leave it in your account or you can bring it to the house of the Lord. So again, this is, this is all through scripture. Remember a moment away we said how Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. You know what else he's called? The first fruit. Uh, I, you might have never thought about this, but Jesus is God's tithe. Here's why. You give the tithe first. In other words, you don't wait till you have tea and you give the first land, right? You don't wait till you conquer the, the promised land, you give Jericho the first city. Okay, listen, God didn't wait to see if we would straighten up to give his son. God gave Jesus while we were mocking him and beating him and spitting on him and nailing him to a cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this is a principle, again, it's all through scripture, to give the first. Firstborn, first fruits. Okay, when I was in college, I remember that one of the students said to uh, ask the question one day, why did God accept Abel's offering and he didn't accept Cain's offering? And the professor was really honest. He said, you know, I don't know. I've, I've never understood that passage. Years later, when the Lord showed me this about the firstborn and first fruits, I was just reading one day and I saw it. And you're going to see why God accepted Abel's offering and he didn't accept Cain's offering. Genesis 4, look at verse 3. And in the process of time, those words are very important. In the process of time, it came to pass, it just kind of came to pass over time that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Notice it never says first fruits. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected, and this word actually also means received, Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Did you see it? It's clear. See, it's the principle of the God. Okay, now, now here's the question, though. Well, couldn't God, I mean, it was still an offering. I mean, couldn't he just have accepted it? That's really a good way to phrase it, because actually, no, he couldn't accept it. I'm going to explain to you theologically why. He could not. It's not just that he would not. It's that he could not. Now, the first thing before I tell you why he, that he could not, I do need to explain to you because all of us sometimes are new at church and learning things and all of us have been there. Some of you might think, what do you mean God couldn't? What, 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 you're saying God can't do something. Isn't he God? God can't. God can do anything. No. God can never act outside of his character. He can't. In other words, God can never tell a lie because he is truth. He doesn't just tell truth. He is truth. 
Okay, so there are some things God can't do. So I just want to share some because they're kind of funny when you think about them. Uh, one is that God can't change. He can't change. This is called the immutability of God. You've got the word mute in there like mutation would be to change. And when you say immutable, it means can't. He cannot change. Okay, the reason God can't change is because if God could change, he could get better. And God can't get better because he's best. See, he's already best. So he can't change. Okay. So here's another one again. I just, I like to, it, again, it's just humorous to me when I think about it this way. God can't think the way we think. He can't. Now, what the theological word for this is omniscience. Omni means all, and then if you look at it when it's spelled, the other word is science. Omniscience. And it's spelled science. The word science means knowledge. To say God is omniscient means that God has all knowledge. So, so God knows everything at the same time, by the way. You think about th that this week for a little while, and you'll trip a breaker. God knows everything at the same time. Okay. The reason God can't think the way we think is because when we think, we're trying to figure something out. God's not trying to figure anything out. Okay, let me say it another way. Nothing has ever occurred to God. God has never said... You know what I just thought of? <laughs> I just thought of something, guys, I've never thought of before. And even the scripture that talks about his thoughts confirms this theology, and this is Theology 101. Here's what the scripture says. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the thoughts, my thoughts are above your thoughts. So there's some things God can't do. He can't think like we think because he already knows everything. He can't change because he's already perfect. Okay, let me tell you something else that God can't do. God can never, this is, this is going back to Cain and Abel now, why God could not accept Cain's offering, but he could accept Abel's. God can never be second. He can't. This is called, theologically, it's called the preeminence of God. He's higher than all, he's before all, he's above all, he's first of all. Now, even as pastors, we'll say, put God first in your life. And it's, it's, it's a, you know, a nomenclature to try to get us to understand it. But please hear me. I want you to put God first in your life. But even if you don't, he's still first. Right. You, you didn't rearrange the cosmos, you know. God can never be second. So Abel brings a first offering. God says, yeah, thank you so much. I can accept that. Cain brings an offering in the process of time. In other words, Cain gave what he wanted when he wanted. God said, no, I can't accept that. So you have to understand that God accepts the first. As a matter of fact, he backs this up in other places. He actually says to Israel in one place, you're bringing me animals that are blind and lame and maimed. And then he says it straight out. I do not accept these. I only accept the first. Okay, so... The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Secondly, it's the first fruits must be offered. Here's number three. The tithe must be first. It must be. It's the first 10%, not the last 10%. And the word tithe comes from a Hebrew word. It means a tenth. 
the 10%, okay? But here's why it must be first, because it belongs to God and he's always first. Let me show you the scripture, Leviticus 27:30. And all the tithe of the land. I don't know if y'all know, but the Hebrew word all means all. Okay, so <laughs> all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It belongs to God. It is holy or set apart to the Lord. Okay, all right, so um, in order to kind of say, how does this work out? I'm gonna have to give you an illustration. And in order to describe this illustration to you, I'm gonna have to use a word that to some of you is a bad word, okay? To some of you, it's a curse word. Just please forgive me, okay? But I'm gonna have to give an illustration that uses math. Some of you just had chills go up your spine, you know. Just, okay, uh, math is one of those things that's easy for me. I was born with it, I understand. My father's a mathematical genius. Proven, he's a mathematical genius. I'm not a mathematical genius, apparently it skips a generation, but numbers add up in my mind without me trying to get them to. My wife, does. she's one of those that does not like the word math. She does not like it at all. She hates it, as a matter of fact. Um, and uh, we, matter, one time we were buying something, it was $7.99. And the person said, um, I'm gonna have to figure up the tax on the calculator because the cash register is broken. And I said, it's 66 cents. Just like that, that, that quickly, it's 66 cents. And uh, she looked at me for a moment and she did her look. It's 66 cents. <laughs> I said, okay. So we get out in the car and Debbie says to me, how do you do that? Okay, so I thought that she was actually asking me <laughs> how I did it. She said, how do you do that? She, she really didn't mean how do you do that. She doesn't care how I do it. She was just complimenting me. But I, she said, how do you do that? So I told her. It was a mistake. But I said to her, well, sugar, 7.99 is close to eight. Our tax rate's 8.25. Eight times eight is 64. Quarter of eight's two. 64 plus two is 66. I said, that should happen in less than a second in your mind. She said to me, it doesn't. And then she said, but I know what 25% off means. Okay, I'm so dense, I thought we were still talking math. So I said to her, okay, I thought I'd check her math, you know, okay. So if you're buying something and it's $100 and it's 25% off, what does that mean? She said, that means it's a good deal. <laughs> and then she said, and if it's 50% off, it's free. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then she goes like this. <sighs> like I'm the one that doesn't understand math. 
She said, Robert, everybody knows if it's 50% off, it's the same thing as buy one, get one free. So if it's 50% off, it's free. And then she said, and it's 75% off, you're making money. which explains some difficulties we've had in our checkbook over the years when she was saving us money. So, okay, so, so I'm gonna give you a math illustration, but it won't take long for those of you that are like my wife and you hate math, that's okay, all right? Because she's great in other areas, you're great in other areas. Math just happens to be one of But we gotta talk for a minute, just a little bit of math illustration, all right? So let's say, how do you figure out the tithe, okay? so. Uh, let's say that you have a landscape business and you come over to my house and I say, you know, we'd like some flowers and some bushes and some, you know, whatever, you know, landscaping is. And so, uh, and so you, you give me the um, estimate. You say, okay, this is how much the, uh, my materials will cost. This is how much my labor is. And my profit will be $1,000. Is, is that agreeable to you? I say it's agreeable. So I pay all your, the reason I'm saying this is you only tithe on your profit. You tithe on your increase is what the Bible says. So I, we pay all the expenses and then for your profit, I give you 10 $100 bills, okay? So you have $1,000 in your hand, 10 $100 bills. So here's the math, I'm almost finished. How much is the tithe? <laughs> that's amazing, half of your, okay, carry the one. That's, that's okay, that's okay. Again, you're good at things I'm not good at. I understand that, okay? All right, but, so it's $100, but you have 10 $100 bills in your hand. So which one of those is the tithe? The first, right. So you're listening, that's great, okay. But how do you know which one's the first? Listen, I'm gonna help you. It's the first one that leaves your hand. Listen, if you go home and say, I'm gonna put aside some for the mortgage, some for utilities, some for clothing, some for food, and here's God's part. That's not God's part. You gave God's part to the mortgage company, and the mortgage company does not have the power to bless your finances. Only God does. It's very important, the first 10%, every time I get paid, that comes out of my account, goes to the church. It's the first 10%. I've had people who've heard me preach this and they've started, they've, they, they've actually tithed for years. And they said, we never thought about it being the first and they changed the way they did it. And I've had them, when I go back to the church years later, say to me, that changed everything. I had a, listen to this, on the way here, you're gonna verify this, Debbie. So on the way here, this guy stops me and says, when I read your book on this, I started tithing that week. I got a job making six times what I was making. Now that's pretty good if you know. Some of you, again, math, that means nothing to you. But for the, it means a lot more money. You can buy a lot more good deal things, okay? But is that true? Did I got to tell you? Because my staff's trying to teach me how to use social media. Have y'all heard of social media? I'm just now learning about it, okay. But, but she said to me, you should have taken a video of that and just, you know, said, you know, this happened and, and give glory to the Lord for this, what happened in this guy's life. Okay, so, so here's the way it works for me, okay? I get paid on the 15th and the last day of the month. Normally the 30th could be the 31st, February 28th, you know, leap year 29. Uh, never mind, numbers, I'm sorry. So, so I get paid on the 15th and the last day of the month. Here's what I do. 
During my quiet time, I go online and I immediately send the tithe to the church. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to say something because the Lord has told me you say this. So I'm not bragging on Debbie and me. I'm telling you, this is something we started doing in 1983, tithing. Maybe 82. I got saved in 81. It was 82 when we started tithing. It took a little while for me to understand it. But in 85, we started double tithing. Now, again, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just telling you it's something that I'm supposed to say when I preach this because some of you are called to do that. Not all of you, but some of you are. So since 1985, 20% goes to the local church of our income, okay? So, but I do it. It's the first thing I do. It's the first money that leaves my account. Here's what I want you to know, though. I am not legalistic about it, and God is not legalistic. God is not legalistic. He's a relationship God. Matter of fact, the Ten Commandments are all about relationship. <laughs> he's teaching you how to have a relationship with Him and others. That's what He's teaching through the Ten Commandments. Okay, so anyway, but what happens if one morning I have an early morning flight or an early morning meeting and I don't even have my quiet time that day and I run out and then I get home that night and I think, oh, it's 15th, I got paid today and I go online and I notice that Debbie went to the grocery store that day. I don't say to her, oh, that's great, sugar, we're cursed. I'm not legalistic about it, and God's not legalistic about it. And you, some of you have been tithing for years. You say, I never thought about doing it first. Listen, that's great. I'm, I'm talking about your heart. That's what this message is about. I'm asking you, in your heart, is God first? And the reason I'm saying I'm talking about your heart is because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we put God first. Let me tell you one more thing how this worked out in my own life. If you go back there to Exodus 13, we stopped at verse 13. Look at verse 14. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? In other words, why are you sacrificing the firstborn? One day your son's going to come ask you. Here's the answer. You shall say to him by strength of hand. When I memorized this the first time, it was by, by a mighty hand, by the mighty hand of the Lord. The Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore... I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Okay, so here, here's what he's saying. He's saying one day your son's going to come and ask you why you're sacrificing these animals. And this is what you have. So think about this, all right? Think about um, the little boy comes running in and he says, Mom, Dad, the sheep is having her first lamb. It's the first lamb for this sheep. And so everybody gets up to go out to the barn, and the dad grabs the butcher knife on the way. And here's this little lamb that's born, and everybody's standing around, and they say, oh, look at the little lamb. Oh, look, he's standing up. He's standing up. And then the dad, in front of the family, grabs this lamb by the hind legs and cuts its throat. And this little boy's standing there watching that. Now, you know what he's thinking, don't you? He's thinking... I don't know what that lamb did, but I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and he grows up, and every time one of their animals has a firstborn, the dad kills it. And then he goes to college, comes home, and his dad says, son, uh, why don't you start helping with me with the books? You know, you, you're, you're, you took all those classes, did so great. So the son's going over the books. So one day the dad comes in, 
And the son says, hey, Dad, um, hey, sit down. I, I want to ask you a question, Dad. Um, you don't have that knife with you, do you? Oh, okay, all right, never mind. Anyway, um, I was going over the books, and um, Dad, all of us have faults. All of us have blind spots, okay? You sure you don't have that knife? Okay, all right. Um, so anyway, um, I'm just noticing that every time one of our animals has a, a, a firstborn, how shall I say this? You, um, you kill it. And um, I was just, I just uh, Dad, um, according to the books, you killed 73 animals last year. And uh, we're, we're in the ranching business, Dad. And so I'm just wondering, why do you do this? And the Lord told the dad what to say when he asked. He said, here's what you do. You take that son and you say to him, son, let me tell you something that you don't know about our family. Uh, we weren't always in the ranching business. We, we didn't have any animals. We didn't have any land, son. Son, we were in bondage. But God with a mighty hand redeemed us and gave us everything that you see. Therefore, we gladly give the firstborn back to God. Okay, so this was written about 3,500 years ago. So one day, uh, years ago, I don't, when, before we, you could bank online, I would, when I'd sit down to pay the bills, the first check I would write would be the tithe check. Okay, I know I lost some of you. The, for you younger folks, we used to have pieces of paper called checks. <laughs> Before that, we traded rocks for food. So, okay, all right, but, all right, so I would write the tithe check first, always first, once the Lord showed me this, and then I'd settle over to the side. And then on the weekend, I'd take it to church. And then I'd pay the rest of the bills. And so my son, who understands numbers like I understand numbers, comes in one day, my oldest son, he comes in and he sees this check to the church and he realizes it's a lot of money. It's more than a quarter that you give in the children's offering, you know? And he says to me, Dad, why are you giving so much money to the church? And I remembered this scripture. And I took my son and I put him on my lap and I said to him, Son, there's something about daddy that, that you don't know. But daddy wasn't always a Christian. And daddy used to be a very, very bad man. But God, with a mighty hand, redeemed your daddy. Therefore, I gladly give to God the first of all of my income. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Every, every campus, every location. I, the reason I'm asking you to do this is just so you can just have a moment with God. God wants to speak to all each of us every time we get together at church, every time we hear the word preached, every time we worship him, God wants to speak and say, this is how this applies to you. So would you just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Just ask him. 
And you might hear something right now in your heart, just an impression from God. Or the Lord might answer you one day this week when you're having that prayer time at the first of your day or at the end of your day, however you have that time where you just spend a little time alone with God every day. But just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? And just let the Lord speak to you. Holy Spirit, I want to tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you for revealing this truth to us that when we put you first, everything else can come into order. And I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray for me and for my family too, that we will always keep you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's okay to give God praise. Come on. A um, couple of things that we want to do. Our usher is going to help me at this moment. But they're going to hand out a piece of paper to, do, to you. It's a 90-day tithe challenge. If what you're doing is not working, I can never get ahead. I, it seems like I take two steps forward, three back. I'm going to help you break a cycle in your life. For some of you, it's generational. And you're going to be some of the first ones in your family to break some things off of your bloodline. That's that spirit of lack and not enough. So, ushers, if you'll go ahead and just start passing these out. Just everyone grab one. Malachi 3 and 10 says this. Test me in this, talking about the tithe. And see if I will not throw open the floodgate of heaven and pour out such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive. It's the only place in the Bible that we are invited, encouraged to challenge God, to prove God. The only place in the Bible that God says, you can prove me with this. And so here's what we are willing to do as a church. And this is private. No one but myself and those who actually handle our finances will look at this. But if you covenant with us for the next 90 days, I'm going to give God the first. I'm going to give God his tithe. It's his anyway. I'm going to follow his pattern, his order. Because anytime you have, you're not doing the order of God, God is a God of order. Anytime you're not following the order of God, your life will be out of order. I don't care what it is, it will be out of order. And so there's all kinds of information. I don't have time to get into all of it. Read it. If you'll covenant with us to say, if you're not tithing, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do this challenge for the next 90 days. If things don't change and your life doesn't get better, if your finances, and this, it doesn't change anything, you come back to me and you say, Pastor, I tried this, it didn't work. I'll give you every penny back. Every penny back. I'll give it all back. But I can tell you right now, it works. I'll never forget the day after we um, had received um, our checks, I asked Jamie how much she needed. She said, I need all of it. I'm like, no, how much do you need? She said, I need all of it and more. 
And at that moment, I said, I'm tired of this. And we had been saved, I don't know, maybe six, seven, eight months at that time. I said, either this is true or it's not true. I said, from now on, the first check that you write is our tithe check. And I didn't even know about this. I said, the first check you write is our tithe check and we'll figure out everything else as it goes. And we have. And for 30 years now, that's what we do. And I can tell you right now, there's never been a time where I'm like, man, I wish I wouldn't have wrote that check. There's never been a time when I'm like, I wish I wouldn't have gave that tithe. Never one time has that even crossed my mind. It's just part of who we are now because we know it belongs to Him. So I want you, uh, the reason I'm even asking you to fill this out is because I want to help you. I want to pray with you. I want to be able to send you encouraging scriptures, text messages that I can encourage you on this journey to let you know you're not doing this alone. Also, what we're going to do on February 9th, or not February, March 9th, we're going to offer a class at the new church, praise God, called The Blessed Life. This is the book that Robert Morris, some of the teaching that you just received this morning, he wrote this book. I've read this book. It is, without a doubt, the best book I have ever read when it comes to not just giving, but shifting your future changing your future. We're going to do a six-week class. Robin, Kristen, Cozart are going to be teaching this class. Um, we're going to buy the book for you. If you're going to take the class, we'll buy the book for you. I'm sorry we're out of books because the first service took them all. But if you sign up at the group's table on your way out, I'll make sure that you get a book. We'll, we'll get some skin in the game for you. We'll buy this book for you, all right? You take that class, I'm telling you, partner with some people, it will help you. And I'm not just talking about getting your, I'm not just talking about getting your finances blessed. I'm talking about getting your life blessed. That's what I'm talking about, getting your life blessed. So the 90-day challenge, fill that out. The ushers are standing at the back, or you can just leave it at the altar on your way out. We'll keep that strictly personal. We won't post it anywhere. That's between you and I in God, all right? I've asked Rob and Kristen to come, and I've asked them to share a personal testimony, and we're almost done. I've asked them to share a personal testimony with you. By the way, you remember what I shared with you about the guy who said, you know what, I'm not going to bill you, I'm not going to charge you for this service, and how God two weeks later opened up a door. He said, if I told you, you wouldn't believe what's going on in our, in our business right now. I said that to let you know that God is no respecter of persons. What he did for one, he'll do for all. So Robin Christen, Christian, close, Christian, she is a Christian. You came to LifePoint Church and it wasn't long after LifePoint Church that you guys had a challenge. And, um, but it's connected to sowing and giving. So Rob, why don't you kind of just let us, walk, walk us through where you guys were and what God did for you. Okay. Um, so I came to LifePoint in July of 2017. And when I 
Now, when I say that, I mean I came to LifePoint. See, Kristen and I, um, earlier that year, um, we were at another church, and we had started teaching Financial Peace University. It was actually our first time that we ever taught the class alone. We had done it with other couples before, but it was the first time we had ever branched it out and done it on our own. And when you want to teach stuff like that, and you really want to make a difference in people's lives, and you want to um, impact the kingdom... The devil does not like that, not at all. And so we were teaching the class, and quite honestly, things weren't all well at home. And um, the devil came after us pretty hard. And I know that the Bible says that um, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, but let's be real about it. That sounds nice, but sometimes it feels like the weapon's going to prosper, right? And so um, that was in April, May, and by June, Kristen and I actually separated. Um, I stayed at the house, and Kristen had moved out of the house. And um, quite frankly, I could I can tell you, I would probably need a month of Sundays to tell you everything that happened over the next three months and how good God was and how awesome God was and everything He poured out and everything He did during that time. Um, but it, you know, it was um, it was a long two and a half, three months. And during that time, I, I discovered life. When I, I came here the first time, I was sitting right where Tom, right where you're sitting right now, sitting right on the aisle. And I came that morning really just because where we were, I just got tired of being asked, you know, hey, where's your wife at? I just needed to get away for a minute, you know, because it hurt. You know, it was, it was a lot to go through. And so I came that morning. Um, I wanted to hear Pastor preach. I'd kind of known about him and known of him for several years. And Jake Bixell had also invited me here about 100 times, you know. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I came. And that morning I was hoping to hear Pastor preach. Well, Pastor wasn't preaching that day. Um, it was uh, Jeff Wolf was, was here preaching. He was preaching a message called Passing the Test. And I didn't know it at the time, but he was basically being prophetic about everything that I was, you know, I and her were about to face for the next three months. Um, I want to back up for just a second and tell you that um, before Kristen and I were even married, we started tithing. We started tithing in 2012, yeah, 2012, uh, and we said, you know, we're going to do this right. And I've been in church my entire life, and um, I've heard all the tithing messages. I've heard all the, all the cliches, you know, I can't afford to tithe. Well, you can't afford not to. I heard all that stuff, um, you know, and it, I always viewed tithing as a very legalistic thing, you know, but there came a point where we had to get serious with God, and we did. Um, and I'm leaving a lot out of here, but, you know, we committed, you know, God, we're going to do this your way. And we started tithing before we were, we were even married. Um, and even in the process of becoming married, um, it was just amazing how God provided up to that point. But go back to where I was talking about here, this, you know, in the summer of 2017, it was some very hard times and our marriage was, to say it was hanging by a thread, it's kind of an understatement. And then that thread was kind of breaking. And... There came a night in August of, of 2017, probably the middle of August 2017, where um, I, was, I, didn't, I didn't say this the first service, but I was coming home from somewhere. I think it was Starbucks or something like that. And um, 
on my iPhone, like if your if your if your phone is connected to the car and you haven't specified like what song you're going to play, it will just play something randomly from a playlist. And I haven't updated my songs in years, you know. So, a song from 1994 came on the radio, and uh, it was actually one of the very first songs I ever learned to play on drums, and it was called "The Battle Is the Lord's." And just that, that the whole song. I mean, if you just read the text of it, you know. It just really, just how, how, how God fights for us. And there was a, let me read you the other half of this, the, the passage of Malachi. So we, we hear about a lot about Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse, there may be food in my house, and test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there won't be a room enough to receive. We hear a lot about that. And the thing is, if you hear just that, a lot of times you can you can um, receive the tithing message as a give to get message, and that is not the point of tithing at all. It is you know I cannot I, we can't dispute the fact that God blesses generosity absolutely does, uh, but this is not give to get, and there's also many other promises that go along with tithing, and that's why it's important we don't stop just at verse ten. Verse eleven is one of my favorites. And it says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. And that August night, after I got home, I got, I, I got mad, and I remembered that scripture. And I remember, you know what? We tithe. Through this whole thing, we, we actually did not stop tithing the entire time. We, even though we were separated, we did not, we did not stop tithing at all. And I remembered the promise of God. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And I went home that night. And I was bawling my eyes out, but I got mad. And I, there's, a, there, there's a picture on our wall, our living room wall. It's my favorite. It's from our, from, our, uh, from our wedding day. And I'm not normally a shouter by nature at all. Like a lot of times when pastor says shout, I do like what a lot of you guys do. I clap. <laughs> but that night I got mad. But I also had a promise that he would rebuke the devourer for my sake. And I looked at that picture on the wall and I just started shouting. I said, not my house, devil. And I don't know if, you know, that shouting did something spiritually, but I know it did something in here. And I know that three days later, I, I, made, I made contact with Kristen again, um, really for the first time in a couple months. And it was in, and I, and three weeks later, we were sitting right over here, very near to where you were sitting, Josh and Tara. And God healed our marriage, sitting right there in the second row, three weeks later. And I can tell you that I said He healed it, but I also that also began the healing process because it was a process. Sometimes God likes to move um, in a process rather than you know a moment. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's a long, drawn-out process. And we did marriage counseling with Pastor and Jamie. You know, and I can tell you, you know, today our, our marriage is stronger than it ever has been. This is my best friend. And I told her before, you know, I told her during that process and after, you know, God had a purpose here. We knew that before, and I know, I definitely know it after, you know. This tithing thing is not a joke. It works, and I don't mean that, you know, if you tithe today, you're going to go home and, you know, the Brinks truck's going to be sitting in, in your driveway. 
That's not what I'm saying, you know, but there is a lot of promises and a lot of provision that come with putting God first and truly first in your life. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And um, thank you, Rob and Kristen, for sharing something that's very personal. But I told Rob and Kristen, I said, there's going to come a day when God's going to take your story and he's going to use it for his glory. And your test will become a testimony for others. And um, there's a whole lot more that goes into that, but this is part of God redeeming that situation. And so what we want to do as we close out today is again, the 90 day challenge. We've had several people already fill this out. I want you to do that. Leave it with us. If um, this is the book, the only book I have left, but I promise to get you some books. Uh, anyone saying, I want to do the class. I want to do the class. Anyone? I really want to do the class. Okay. <laughs> John, come on. Did you have your hand up? Yeah, okay. I just saw you. I just wanted that to go that way. All right. All right. That's going to be March 9th, 6.30, six, seven-week class, six weeks. And it's going to be a blessing to you. Again, we want to shift your future. Amen. If you're in a situation, maybe it's home, maybe it's finances, maybe it's relational, maybe it's spiritual, whatever, and you just, you've been battling and you're like, you know what? It's not changing. Nothing's working. And you just need God to rebuke the devourer for your sake, like he did with Rob and Kristen. God, I need you to rebuke the devourer. I'm getting nowhere in this situation. I just want you to quickly come, and I know we're running out of time, but I want you to just quickly come and join me in this altar. Come on, come on, just just do it. I need God to rebuke the devourer for our sake, for my sake, for my family's sake. I need God to rebuke the devourer. I want you to come. altar team and staff. I don't want anybody standing here without somebody's hand on their back. So come on, I need people to be in here to pray. Pastor, I need God to rebuke the devourer for our sake. There just comes a place and a point where you have to say enough is enough. No more. Covenant promises of God are yes and amen, and I'm standing on God's word. I'm standing in agreement with God. Anyone else? We're going to sing and we're going to pray, but anyone else? Amen. Father, I just come to you in the mighty name of Jesus.